The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to the Dan Isard Show. Uncut and uncensored analysis from author and consultant Dan Isard. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Dan Isard. Hi, I'm Dan Isard. Welcome to the Dan Asard Show on Funeral Radio. For those of you that are not accustomed to this podcast, let me just give you a short introduction as to what abuse you're going to go through over the next 45 or 50 minutes. I'm going to take you through a myriad of subjects dealing with the business side of the funeral and cemetery business. Today my guests are Joe Weigel, a longtime public relations guy who's worked for Batesville, Wilbert, and Genesis Casket, as well as other large companies in the other side of the world where funeral is not the custom. In addition to Joe, I've been honored to have Robert Fells come on, general counsel and executive director, the longtime executive director to the ICCFA, the International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association, the other funeral association. And Bob's going to talk to me a little bit about the Ernie Hefner case dealing with Pennsylvania law that has gone from state court to the higher levels, the reversal, and in the future weeks, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court. So with that being said, let me take you to the news. Dateline, Washington. The FTC announces the top consumer complaints for 2013. However, funeral-related complaints were negligible. The FTC apparently has a data sorting side which goes through the data banks of all national consumer complaints filed by Better Business Bureaus and other such organizations. All in all, the Better Business Bureau compiled complaints of approximately 2.1 million complaints. How many of those were against funeral homes? Well, in 2013, that came to exactly 1,200. Yep. Doing the math, taking off my shoes and socks, that's about 1% of all complaints. In fact, it's the third year in a row that funeral service has registered less complaints than the year before. These complaints are not only less than 1%, they're less than seven-tenths of a percent. When you figure that there are approximately 2.5 million United States deaths a year. When you figure that these complaints could be registered by a sibling of the deceased, a spouse of the deceased, a child or grandchild of, of the deceased, that is infinitesimal. Good job, funeral service. Way to go. Dateline, Washington. 
Representative Ed Whitfield of Kentucky introduced House Bill 4213. What does House Bill 4213 mean? Its purpose is to expand the FTC funeral rule to all sellers of funeral-related goods and services. In fact, he's named it the FTC Improvement Act of 2014. Well, way to go, Ed. 30 years after the FTC introduced the funeral bill, you have an amendment. Timely. The only problem is, since there's no problem cited with any of the FTC's complaints against cemeteries and other sellers of funeral goods and merchandise, this is more or less a solution in search of a problem, or as they say in Kentucky, a fly in search of some crap. Dateline. Various points throughout the small parts of the United States. President Barack Obama and the United States government wish to give the ownership of some cemeteries back to their local communities. Nine historic cemeteries in the Black Hills of South Dakota and other parts of the United States will transfer from the U.S. Forest Service to their local communities. The Senate passed their bill last week. The House is expected to approve it any day now. Except, why would a community wish to take back these cemeteries if there's no trust funds to care for them. Hmm. So let's see. We have health insurance and social security, which have no actuarial calculations to support them. And now, cemetery care and upkeep without any money to support it. Sounds like a great government program to me. Dateline, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The Institute for Justice is representing a group of Pennsylvania funeral directors, led by Ernie Hefner, who want the United States Supreme Court to determine if several state funeral laws of Pennsylvania are unconstitutional. They're asking the Supreme Court to hear the case, which has already been ruled on by a lower court in Pennsylvania, reversed by an upper court in Pennsylvania, and now the tug of war continues. This story and more is going to be part of our interview with Robert Fells. Back in the 1980s, caskets were made to seem complicated. Here at Ace Caskets, we demystify the casket and offer funeral homes these simple products at prices that are no doubt going to impress you. Get top quality caskets from the top casket importer in the U.S. We have hassle-free logistics, great quality, and great prices. Call now at 888-998-1888. That's 888-998-1888. Call now. Hello. This is Chris Gordon from A Simple Thank You, the originators of Digital Registry. Our service allows us, or the funeral home, to print out a customized guest book as well as acknowledgement cards that include addressing the envelopes to and from. 
This saves the family hours of time trying to decipher through illegible handwriting left by many guests. Visit our website, a simplethankyoufuneral.com, and see what funeral directors and families are saying about a Simple Thank Yous digital registry service. What do more than 2,000 funeral home and 800 cemetery owners have in common? They have trusted the power of the financial and management consulting advice provided by the Foresight Companies and its president, Dan Assard. Merger and acquisition, business succession, accounting, pricing, marketing, web management. Call 800-426-0165 to put the power of foresight to work for you. Hello, my name is Raymond Akins, and I serve as host moderator to one of Funeral Radio's newest channels. It's called the Director's Exchange, and if you haven't had a chance to listen in, I'd like to extend to you right now an invitation to come check us out. What we aim to do is showcase the thought leaders in funeral business, people who I refer to as ranking amongst our very best and brightest. I think you'll find the format and the quality of discussion simply fascinating. Again, you're invited to come check us out, and you can find us anytime at the Director's Exchange on FuneralRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. My guest right now is the Executive Director and General Counsel of the ICCFA, Robert M. Fells. Bob, welcome to Funeral Radio. Thanks very much, Dan. Bob, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, this whole Pennsylvania litigation that Ernie Hefner uh, brought. He looked victorious several months ago, mm-hmm. and then it looked as if uh, the uh, appeals court overturned everything. Right. Um, you have opinions on that, am I correct? Oh, yes, very much so. Yes. Well, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what your opinions are and why this is a uh, passionate issue for you? Well, if I can, let me frame it first, because what um, Ernie Hefner and his colleagues were doing is uh, something very difficult in a legal and a judicial sense. They were trying to take a law that was duly passed by the Pennsylvania legislature and signed into law by the governor. It is presumptively legal and constitutional. And they were, as plaintiffs, they were going to court, federal court, to argue that it was unconstitutional and therefore the various provisions, perhaps not the whole law, but I think it was 12 counts is what they started out with, um, did offend the Constitution of the United States of uh, affecting uh, commerce and due process and things like that. And um, the the burden on that is is really, it's sky high. Uh, and there's a reason for that. I don't want to turn this into law school 101 or something. But um, if you have a law that you don't like, there's two ways you can go about changing it. The easier way, but not necessarily the most successful, is to go to your state house and lobby politics and get the people who passed the law, or at least their predecessors, to agree to an amendment to change what you don't like, or maybe you don't like the whole thing, just get the whole thing repealed. Okay, Uh, but we know, you know, we all are experienced with that sort of thing. We know politics plays a large role. And just because you're right on the issues or that people will agree with you in principle, it doesn't mean they're going to necessarily do that very thing. But that's the best way and easiest way. um, If you're trying to change a law through the the legislature, you don't have to prove it's unconstitutional. All you have to say is 
I don't like it. And depending on who you're talking to, that may be good enough. Well, you may have to say, I don't like it because, you know, but um, it's a pretty low standard. It's just the art of political persuasion that we're all familiar with. Now, what um, Ernie and his colleagues did as plaintiffs in this litigation, he took the second route. And many times, for a practical reason, that's the only route open. The political route at the state house may, in fact, be closed with you. People can agree with you behind closed doors, but for other reasons, they say, but I'm not going to challenge this thing. I'm not going to get in the middle of, of this thing. And so if that's the case, then you have no choice but to go through the court system, and that's what uh, Ernie Hefner and his fellow plaintiffs did. Now there, to convince a court, unlike a legislature, that this is a bad law, in this case we're talking about the funeral director law of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, to convince the court it's a bad law, unconstitutional, and it ought to be repealed, you have a much higher standard. You can't just say, as you might to your favorite legislature, I don't like it, or this is bad for my business. What? No, they'll, they'll, they'll dismiss your complaint right at the start. You've got to come in, and the burden is quite high, and it should be. I should point that out. The burden is quite high that you must show that it is not only unconstitutional, but it is totally unreasonable. It's beyond uh, the government its authorities. It's not enough to show it's a bad law. It's not enough to show it's a lousy law. It hurts your business or that it hurts consumers. Or they, they, they may agree. The court may agree with you and say, yeah, we agree with you. This is a terrible law. But you know something? It does not rise to that level of being unconstitutional that we are going to, in fact, usurp the prerogative of the state legislature. That's really what plaintiffs in a case like this are asking them to do. They're going to the court and saying, we want you to trump the legislature and take this law that they duly passed and strike it down. The way the system works, and most time it does work this way, fortunately, the courts will say, whoa, we're not going to second guess the legislature or throw it out, even though we agree with you, it's a bad law, it's stupid, whatever you want to say. We're not going to do that because that's the legislator's job to pass laws and not our job. And if you think about it, can you imagine if the standards were the same for the legislature to pass a law or the courts to to reject a law? Every time a state legislature passes a bunch of laws, the courts can just come and strike them down. I mean, and the courts would dominate our system of, of, of government. So in a way, again, in Law School 101, you want to say – the courts should be very hesitant before they strike down a law that was duly passed by the legislature, and they should have a high standard. The, the example I use, it's kind of silly, but it makes the point, is that you really have to show the court that the law you want struck down or the sections of the law you want struck down are so bad, there are people lying wounded and dying in the streets to do this. Now that you say, well, that's a pretty tough standard. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the idea. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's an enormous standard for any plaintiffs and the defendants, they just kind of have to sit there and say, burdens not on us. We don't have to prove anything. The law is presumptive, presumptively valid. It's presumptively constitutional. We don't have to do a thing. All we have to do is disagree with the plaintiffs and say, Hey, they're wrong. And that's kind of what, what happened here. So that in a, a nutshell, I hope, um, is kind of what happens, and that's when you go to the courts. Um, it's a tough, 
it's a tough road. I won't even speak to the expense involved, the time, the effort, and everything else. But it, it's a tough way to do it. And ultimately, that's what the appeals court said, it, is that this doesn't meet the standard of using the courts to change legislation. Yes, that that is basically what they said. Uh, about 14 years ago, we were also involved as a friend of the court in uh, New York State Federal Court. The New York State Association of Cemeteries tried to strike down the New York State Cemetery Law, which is also a terrible law. For example, cemeteries in New York can't sell upright markers or vaults. You know, like, wh why not? You know, uh, but that that still is the law in New York. And uh, the federal court... Um, did not disturb the law, left it intact. But um, part of the opinion was very interesting. It, it, it did agree with the plaintiffs that, yeah, this is a stupid law. It's a bad law. We don't know why it was passed. Well, they didn't know why it was passed, protectionism. But but what the point they made was, you know, if this law is as bad as you say it is, speaking to the plaintiffs, why don't you go to your state legislature and tell them? They're the ones who passed it. They're the ones who can change it or rescind it. So why are you here with us? You know, And you, again, you have to nod your head and say, theoretically, academically, that's exactly what a court you know, should be saying. I think what bothers a lot of us is when some courts don't do that. Some courts or some judges just don't like a law, and they'll strike it down, even though they probably have no business doing it. They just don't like it, and they'll say, well, I'm going to use my prerogative, and you can appeal it, and somebody wants to say I'm wrong, that's fine. Uh, but, yeah, it is a very high standard, and that was true in the New York case, and it's obviously true here in Pennsylvania. My guest is Robert Fells, Executive Director and General Counsel to ICCFA, talking about the Pennsylvania litigation. Bob, the reversal of this uh, temporary victory, uh, puts Pennsylvania back to its 1954 and 1935 laws, mm -hmm. laws that are, you know, 60 and, and 80 years old, respectively. Uh, how will this impair funeral directors in Pennsylvania from being able to serve their families uh, in the tw 21st century? Well, as I, I, I've said elsewhere, sort of a quotable quote, I said this Pennsylvania ruling, the appellate court that reversed all the lower courts. Uh, this is a victory only for people who don't want funeral service to come into the 21st century. And um, the public isn't going to stand around and wait until, say, in this case, Pennsylvania funeral homes decide to go into the 21st century. They're going to go elsewhere with other people and groups to meet their wants. And like with food service, for example, if a Pennsylvania funeral home said, gee, I'd love to cater you know, the funeral service, but we're not allowed to do that because of the law, people will say, okay, no problem. We'll just go to the Marriott or the Hyatt or some other place, and uh, they'll, they'll fix us up fine. Um, so those are the real losers, the, the people um, who, you know, the public has changed. We know that. You've written about that yourself extensively. We're not dealing with the same people years ago that would unquestionably um, agree to a three-day viewing or something. No, no, that's all gone. And so for the funeral profession in Pennsylvania and other states as well, to sort of dig their heels into the ground and saying, this is the way we've always done it, this is the way we're going to do it, and we'll fight off anyone who tries to change these laws. The public is going to say, well, best of luck, guys. I don't know who's going to win, but we're out of here. We're going to go over and we're going to do what we want to do, and you guys can continue fighting among yourselves. And that's kind of what's 
what's happened here. The public isn't going to wait for us, but we're going to lose them, and that's what's happening. The absurdity, I think, is uh, shown in an example that Ernie himself would use. He'd say if he served tomato juice in his funeral home, he's within the law. If somebody puts it in a microwave, heats it up, and it's now tomato soup, he is in violation of the law. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Pretty soon. You mentioned ICCFA uh, filing a friend of the court brief in New York's uh, previous case. Did you also file one in Pennsylvania? Oh, yes. Yes, we did, and we were we were glad to do it. Uh, we, we did not, because there were so many points, as I say, originally there were 11, and I think they got whittled down to uh, 12 and whittled down to 11. Uh, we just picked on a couple of points we thought were more important. But in general, we indicated that uh, the law is antiquated. It's anti, you know, consumer in that sense, uh, it, cause it stifles competition. And F, the Federal Trade Commission has said many times, anything that stifles competition is going to hurt consumers. Just ipso facto. That's just the way it does. So, um, we, we filed it, uh, feeling that the judge, you know, Judge Jones at the district court level was on the right track. And I'm sure he's very disappointed as well as what, as what happened. Um, and it, it was gratifying to see other groups like the Funeral Consumer Alliance um, come in with their own brief. Now, they have their own take on uh, consumers and funeral homes and cemeteries, too. But uh, we were all able to agree that the Pennsylvania funeral law was pretty bad and was just a, a protectionist piece of legislation. And, and what, what, what happened, to look at it in a larger sense, we understand why it was passed back in the 50s or even back in the 30s. And it was meant to be like a bulletproof vest to help funeral directors of that day um, fight off competition, basically to say, nobody can sell what I sell. But now things have changed. The public has and a lot of the things the funeral directors would say, you know, I'd like to do that, like serve food or serve you know, beverages or heat up the tomato juice so it's uh, tomato soup. And so what was once a bulletproof vest in the law has now become a straitjacket for the funeral directors in Pennsylvania. Uh, I understand that during the time the district court's you know, rulings stood, that some funeral directors actually took steps to start introducing some of these things, food service. Now, of course, they have to backtrack and not do that. But there were a number of ones uh, getting, you know, having a taste of the future now, or actually the present, said, hey, this isn't bad. This is good for business. I'll do this. And now, of course, they're back to square one themselves. They can't do it, but they had a taste of what their business might be and what it could offer the public. So um, I, I hope there's some mixed feelings even among some of the people in Pennsylvania that didn't want to see the law struck down, having ventured in a little bit. They said, hey, you know, the, the, the water's not bad. Come on in, you know, but we'll see. The Pennsylvania Funeral Directors Association was obviously on, on the other side. They were trying to defend the law. Mm-hmm. Why would they be against any of these advancing ideas? Well, Dan, there are two answers. The short one is, and I say this facetiously, but this is what they quote, consumer protection. Oh, we've got to protect consumers. We're so worried about, you know, which is nonsense. It's hogwash. But if you're talking to your state senator or your your state representative and you only have so many minutes for uh, FaceTime and they say, well, no, you know, why do you want to keep this law? It's under attack. It's, oh, consumer protection. 
Well, if you only have a sound bite to talk with your guy, that's good. I mean, everyone's in favor of consumer protection. So, <laughs> you know, that's what I have to say. Now, a more extended answer is that they believe, um, well, you know, to be fair, all businesses like the status quo. And it doesn't matter what the status quo is, whether it's pro-competitive or anti-competitive. If the business community has gotten used to it, they don't want it changed. You may remember back in the early 1980s, remember when President Reagan wanted to deregulate the, the, uh, the airline and the trucking industry? Because uh, there were too many regulations, you know. And, and instead of saying, yeah, Ron, thanks a lot, you know, way to go, the airline trucking industry fought him tooth and nail. And it would have been, what, you mean you want all these regulations? And the answer was that was the status quo. They had gotten used to them. They were helpful in some ways because they were so complex. They kept new competitors from coming on. So those regulations, while they were there to protect the public with, you know, transportation, truckers, and airlines, they also knew it created a pretty high wall for any new guys to come on the block. So it's kind of funny. So depending on the circumstances, uh, traditionally business will fight to maintain the status quo, whether it's pro-competitive or anti-competitive. They just don't want stuff to change because they know what they got. Do you find that ICCFA is on the other side of the point of view from NFDA on many things? Well, we don't try to be, but it usually ends up that way. Um, you know, and again, you know, it depends what your view. If you want to protect the vested interests, if you want to preserve the status quo, then chances are on any given issue, you'll come out sounding a lot like NFDA. If you feel, as ICCFA does, that, you know, the world is changing and we either change with it or we can become obsolete. Um, and pro-competition, you know, is really the way to go. Uh, some of our members live in states and work in states that have these laws, that only funeral directors can sell this and sell that. And I say to them, you know, that's nice work if you can get it, you know. Uh, wouldn't we all like, wouldn't I, I say if I would be the only national association out there, if you wanted to join a national association, ICCFA was it. There was no other group you could join. Yeah, you know, but the reality is quite different. And competition itself, it's a two-edged sword. Everybody, everybody is pro-competition when it means you want to break into somebody else's market and grab some of their market share. Oh, in that case, I love competition. But if the opposite is the case, if someone's trying to break into my market and take my market share, I hate competition. And I will pass laws and try to get laws passed that will say nobody is allowed to compete with me. Like the states that still say only licensed funeral directors can sell caskets. For example. Nobody can sell what I sell, you know, um, which itself is becoming obsolete even without changing the laws because people are ordering caskets out of state from the Internet. And they just ship them into the state that uh, doesn't allow other sellers to do it. So technology itself is providing a way around some of these things. Bob, thank you so very much for explaining your point of view to my listeners. You've been listening to The Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. This is Cindy Neely Spence, your host for Make Ceremony Matter More. On this program, I talk shop with life cycle celebrants about their experiences creating unique ceremonies. Our show demonstrates how end-of-life ceremonies can be different. 
It highlights unique approaches to meeting what many funeral industry clients are seeking. Please join us to learn how to make ceremony matter more for your clients, only on Funeral Radio. My segment on Finance 101 today is entitled The Five Biggest Mistakes People Make on Their General Price List. Ladies and gentlemen, sit down, pull over your car, turn off the ignition, just listen. We don't want anyone having any accidents while I'm talking about these five mistakes. I will tell you one mistake when listening to this segment is shouting back at your recording device. I can't hear you. And the reality is, if you're making these five mistakes, just suck it up and change. One of the things that you have to understand is the history of the general price list. And mistake number one is disrespecting the basic non-declinable service fee. The basic non-declinable service fee was a victory by funeral service. If you go back to the FTC's hearings in the 1980s, and especially the largest hearing, which took place in 1984 before their final ruling, what you have to understand is that funeral service was losing left and right. If your fathers and grandfathers ever talked to you about what pricing was like prior to the FTC's ruling in 1984, they would tell you that a family picked out the casket. They paid one price, and for that they got a package of services. They got all the services that you wanted to give them, and it was a package. No itemized pricing. You picked out one casket, you paid one price, you got the arrangement, the removal, the care and sanitation or embalming of the body. You got the visitation, generally two days. You got the service, either in your chapel or at a church. You got the hearse driving the body wherever it wants to go, the interment service at the cemetery, and all the paperwork and filing of all the death certificates. Funeral service was pretty easy back then. It was near impossible not to make a profit. However, the FTC didn't like the fact that when a family said, I don't want two days of visitation, I only want one, you would give whatever discount you wanted to give or none at all. It might even be different between different parties. Funeral service was called on the FTC's carpet, and funeral service, after weeks of hearing, was losing. Howard Rather, as a Hail Mary 12th hour pitch, approached the FTC and in his lawyerly style explained to them that there is one basic fee that funeral homes should be able to charge to all families because there is one basic cost that all families absorb regardless of whether the body is going to be buried or cremated, whether the body is going to be uh, shown or not shown, whether the body is going to uh, be in a expensive or cheap casket, whether the body is going to be shown in your funeral home or shipped out to another. There is one basic fee. And you know what the policy wanks at the FTC said? 
They said, you're right. We agree. Funeral service wins that one point. So now we have itemized pricing, and we have itemized pricing plus the basic non-declinable service fee. If you disrespect the importance of the basic non-declinable service fee, you will lose your profitability for the future. You need to quote it, you need to understand it, and you need to make sure that every family pays it. And there is but one basic non-declinable service fee. You can't have one for burial families and one for cremation families. In fact, the services that the basic non-declinable service fee is intended to cover apply to all. A body that you pick up in your neighborhood or a body that is shipped into your funeral home. A body that is going to be buried or a body that is going to be cremated. A body that is going to be casketed or a body that's not going to be casketed. The same overhead needs to be there because it is. You have a cost of your basic staffing just to answer the phones, just to be in a place. You have a cost for your facility to be able to house a body, to be able to house your staff. You have the basic needs of phone and communication. You have these basic costs that exist regardless of whether you serve a family that's burial or cremation. And therefore, there should be one price. And therefore, that price should be charged to every family. Number two, printing errors. You know, there, there was a time in 1984, 1990, when funeral homes used to take their GPLs and send them off to printing companies. I remember a very popular company in uh, the Atlanta area that would print off hundreds of GPLs for you. And they would print them out because back then we had to set the fonts. We had printers that had to lay everything out. We didn't have computers, but today we do. Today you have the choice of the font size and the font itself. So use a good font. Make sure that your GPL doesn't have too much dark space. Here's something else for you. You could even use multiple colors. You can make your GPL look like a high-end menu. Don't put it on the cheapest paper. Use a lot of white space. And while it may sound silly, use the right size font. Here's how you determine the right size font. It's simple math. Take the average age of the person reading your GPL. Divide by five. That's the size of the font. See, a 60-year-old person needs a 12-point font. A 70-year-old person needs a 14-point font. You need to use the right size font. And when in doubt, go bigger. I know what you're thinking. Gee, Dan, if I go instead of 10-point fonts, I go up to 14-point fonts, it's not going to fit on one page. How logical is that? Why would you want the most important document that you use 
in arranging a funeral and communicating the pricing of families to have to fit on one page. Is it written somewhere on stone? Did Moses come down with two tablets and one of those tablets said, number nine, thou shalt only use one page when laying out their GPL? I don't think so. Another problem is ineffective bolding. See, we bold consistently. We should be bolding consistently. And we bold the things that we want people to see a little bit more clearly. Such as your pricing. Keep in mind, your GPL is handed to people and they touch it. Do you want to use cheap paper or expensive paper? Do you want it to be slightly textured? Do you want it to be a rag bond or very common copier paper? Don't try saving money on the paper. If, in fact, you're a 150-call funeral home, you maybe use 300 pages of GPLs if you keep it on one page, in the course of a year, what does one ream of paper cost you? Five bucks? Go up to the expensive stuff. Spend $7 for all of your families. Another mistake we see in the printing is that people think that the only thing they could do is use the Federal Trade Commission mandated material. Don't get me wrong, the FTC-mandated material must be presented to a family. But does it have to be the first thing or the only thing that you give them? I don't think so. Lead with packages. Packages make life easier for consumers. Packages help families understand the various things that people routinely pick. We've talked about packages in previous shows. If you're not sure, go back to show one and two and listen to what we have to do when setting our prices. But packages help consumers. Another thing you could do is include explanations why someone uses something. Rather than being silent on why we use embalming, explain why we use embalming. Certainly embalming is not required in all cases. We understand that. We have language to that effect from the FTC. But we don't explain why families choose embalming. And the last mistake in the printing errors is we refuse to reprint these frequently. I've had clients tell me they're not raising their prices until they use up all their GPLs that were pre-printed. Tell me that isn't just stupidity. Number three, black and white versus color. If you were going out to spend $3,000 on a TV, is that TV going to be color or black and white? If you were going to get an iPad, would that iPad only produce black and white images or would it show color? In fact, all these smartphones are not only influencing you with color, they're trying to impress upon you how many more colors and how much more contrast that color shows on their smart glass versus another. Why is it when it comes to the most important document you hand to family, you try to do it on black and white? Now, don't turn it into red, black, green, blue, or rainbows. This is not something a six-year-old would use. 
but using royal blues, using blacks, using shades of gray are all important and they show better than just a simple black and white. Add charts. Let the chart show your packages. Let those charts be in color. You could use dark blue rather than black. Any of the Pantene colors have high credibility with people. Item four, not monitoring how people are spending versus your GPL objective. When you create a GPL, it is to encourage families to make decisions, and those decisions are economic choices which influence the success of your funeral business. Your casket company sends you a statement each quarter on your sales. Why aren't you looking at that and why aren't you saying, is this exactly where I want them to be spending on merchandise? Look at your GPLs. Are people spending on service fees where you want? Look at your packages. Are they using the package that you expect them to be using most of the time? See, just producing a GPL and not studying how it is doing to meet your business objective, it's foolhardy. You'll spend a lot of time explaining to your bankruptcy lawyer why you thought it was okay to do it that way. Why are you not using software to generate statements on your services or, or various forms of component sales? If you have funeral software, learn it. Learn what the reports do. Learn what the reports tell you. And if not, hire a high school kid to put it into Excel for you. Another item in this area is embalming. Nobody was upset when in 1984 to 1990, the use of automobiles, the use of limousines, was palpable in how it was declining in families choosing it. From 1990 through 2010, we started noticing more and more families were choosing less and less facility use, either for visitation or for services. The 21st century change in funeral service is going to be embalming. In my first show, we talked about the hypothetical pricing analysis. I'm sorry, second show. But we need to understand package pricing, and I think that was in show number three. You need to see that families are choosing embalming. Otherwise, Call up your state, change the law. Do you know that 23 out of our 50 states require you to be a licensed embalmer in order to meet with a family? Do you know that about 40% of all bodies now are no longer being embalmed? Are we at a crossroads of this business where we need to change our licensure? Stay tuned for more talk on that in future shows. Error number five, not putting your prices 
on your website. Oh, I know. I've just gone over the deep edge. The number one reason funeral homes don't put their pricing online is they're afraid their competitor will get them. Shh. Turn down the volume. Just in case your competitor is driving by you with a funeral procession, you don't want them to hear this. Oh, I, I know you have their pricing, but that's because your aunt calls them up, disguises her voice every year, and gets someone to send her a copy. Right. Your competitor doesn't have an aunt, and that's why they don't have yours. If you have theirs, they have yours. Trust me on that. But the reality is they don't have your overhead. So when you get into the discussion of why your prices are set the way they are, it's because you have your overhead. You have your conscionable profit that you're looking to achieve. And they can have theirs. And therefore, the two prices can be different. Another reason people don't put their website pricing is because they don't want to, because they really don't even know why they are online. Do you know that almost 80% of all funeral homes have an online presence? But of those, almost a third got their website from a casket company for next to nothing or for a reduced price. What is it about a casket company that makes you think they could build a website. Now, don't get me wrong, a nine-year-old can build a website today. But a website that creates a true virtual business for you is not something a nine-year-old can do. And it's not something that a casket company can do. The casket companies are attempting to create a virtual umbilical cord with you that you won't leave them because it means you'll lose your website. You also want to make sure pre-need is effective on your website. And don't tell me, oh, Dan, we have a whole pre-need page. In fact, it has 361 different questions we ask people to fill out. That is not a pre-need page. You would not allow an airline website to ask you 361 questions about where you're flying to, what time of day, and when you want to fly back, what type of seat you want, what type of meal you want, whether you want any online entertainment. And then when you hit send, after answering all those questions for nine minutes, getting a page back that says, please come into our funeral home and we'll be very happy to give you our pricing on this. Would you want to have to go to an airport to learn about pricing? No. We want to make decisions in the comfort of our home. Ladies and gentlemen, I owned one of the largest technology companies from 04 to 07. The power of a geek running a technology company was incredible. I was able to take my little programmers, all of whom were visa hostages, and I was able to ask them to program certain components into a website, all 800 websites that we controlled, and I was able to find out stuff about consumers using websites for funeral homes. 
Do you know that the average person filling out a pre-need page on your website, do you know what time of day it is they're typically doing that? I'll tell you right after this commercial. You're listening to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. Introducing the Walkboard Removal Cot. It comes in at half the price, half the size, and half the weight of other cots. Weighing only 30 pounds and with a 500-pound capacity, you can easily navigate corners, multi-story buildings, and tight spaces with the patented design. See their video at walkboard.com slash radio today. That's walk, W-A-U-K, board, B-O-A-R-D, dot com slash radio. Welcome back to the Dan Asard Show on Funeral Radio. And in this show, I'm talking about the five biggest mistakes people make on their general price list. I'm in section number five, and it all deals with the website use of a website. Do you know what time of day the average person goes onto a funeral home website to get information about a prearrangement or funeral pricing? I do. It's between 11 p.m. local time and 3 a.m. local time. Why is it someone searching the web at that time of night for something other than sex? It's because if you were going to bed and you had a compelling thought and you couldn't get that compelling thought out of your head, well, you would get up, open up your iPad, open up your computer, your tablet, and you would start searching for these answers. Because when you can't sleep, you've got to get answers to the questions that are nagging you. The thing is, people don't know the area that your funeral home serves. So if they see someone answering their questions one town away from you, you know what? They may use that funeral home. They don't know they're not supposed to go outside of their town or their borough. All they want is someone that's talking to them in their language. If you think people don't buy prenatal online, well, I got news for you, brother and sister. Go to DignityPlanning.com. DignityPlanning.com. Hmm, what major New York Stock Exchange company created that site? Hmm... I don't want to say the name because SCI might think I'm giving them free publicity. But when you go on that site, you'll see that they've made it very easy for someone to prearrange. They've given their prices. They've given packages. They've done it for burial or cremation. And you might say, oh my God, I would never go there. But you know what? You're in the business. You're going to try to get it wholesale. Help consumers make decisions online. Give them pricing. Give them options. And if you want, you can create a pricing section, much the way SCI has done it. Don't violate anyone's trademarks or uh, copyrights. But you can create your own. 
There are many cremation societies doing online arrangements. Help consumers make decisions online. You could even offer to allow them to start to make arrangements, then save their arrangements, and your website can then notify you of these new saved files. In the event a family doesn't come back within five days, you could send them an email that says, Hi, I noticed you were on our website starting to make arrangements. I noticed you stopped in the middle of the arrangement. Is there any question I can try to answer for you? You know what? They may ask you a question. Those funeral homes that tend to put their pricing on their website oftentimes do it as a PDF. Don't. It's often scanned in crooked. It's not interactive. We assume somebody knows how to do funeral pricing, and they don't. But we can lead them through what's called a decision tree. You could do it with a host. You can do it with a video host or an audio host. You can do it just with slides. But by putting your pricing out there, you're now going to make it seem as if funerals are not secrets. Ultimately, there are five errors that most people make when it comes to their GPL. Don't make any of them. Number one, don't disrespect the basic non-declinable service fee. Number two, avoid printing errors. Number three, don't stay with just black and white as opposed to color and shades. Number four, monitor how people are spending and using your GPL. And number five, get the virtual world involved. Put your pricing on your website. Do it the right way. That's Finance 101 for today. If you have any questions, please send them to me at danisard, D-A-N-I-S-A-R-D, at the letter F, as in Frank, the number four, and then the word site, S-I-G-H-T dot com. Or go to my Facebook page. Or go to Funeral Radio. Or look for me on Twitter. And if you're confused, chances are I confused others as well. So speak up and protect the rights of your peers. You're listening to The Dan Assard Show. On Funeral Radio. We'll be back in a moment. This is Tyler Fraser, founder of Funeral Radio. When I'm not working with the talented hosts here at Funeral Radio, I'm working with funeral directors to fill their cremation urn needs at UPD Urns. I'd like to introduce to you the UPD Urn Store. It's an e-commerce store that can integrate with any website, processes urn orders that are totally secure, and there's no charge to set it up. Learn more at updearns.com slash store. Welcome back to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. My guest today is a longtime fixture in this business from a very, very high level, Joe Weigel. Joe, welcome. Thanks, Dan. I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you. Joe, I want to talk to you today about your career uh, overseeing the advertising, marketing, uh, and public relations efforts of uh, some pretty big clients in this business, uh, uh, starting with your life at Batesville. 
Tell me a little bit about what brought you to Batesville in the first place. After graduating, I went to work for several advertising agencies and public relations firms, doing communications work for a number of blue-chip clients, including Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, Quaker State, Kroger's, and Chiquita. But after a number of years, I decided to leave the agency business and go to work in corporate America. I took a job at Batesville Casket as their director of marketing for options. Joe, about what year was that? Dan, I started with options in the summer of 1994, just after they completed their test marketing and made their debut at the NFDA convention in Chicago. After spending three years as director of marketing at options, I was promoted to director of marketing and corporate communications at the mothership, Batesville Casket. I held that position for more than a dozen years before I left for the Windy City to join Wilbert as vice president of sales and marketing. Joe, I want to take you back to uh, one of the unique points of your career, the advent of your introduction to funeral service. Working for the options program of Batesville in 1994, it, it seems previous to 1994, Batesville didn't acknowledge that cremation was a real part of the decision-making for human disposition. And suddenly, with the introduction of options in 1994, it became a viable solution. In fact, they started talking about using some of the casket showroom floor for options cremation material. Is my observation wrong or jaundiced, or or, uh, is it just my cynicism uh, that that, uh, tempers my memory on 1994? Dan, as you know, I wasn't part of the Batesville Brain Trust in the early 90s. Heck, I don't think I was ever considered in that small, exclusive fraternity at the Big B. So I can't speak to what discussions took place prior to my joining the company. However, I wouldn't say that Batesville didn't acknowledge cremation. It was more like they were still in the growth mode on the casket side, having made several small casket acquisitions in the early 90s. I do know they put a person in charge of the project early on who spent a number of years traveling the country learning what he could about cremation. They did some market testing on the West Coast and in Florida. And then, to their credit, Batesville made sure that their offering was more than caskets and urns, but what they termed a system solution with training materials and marketing support in addition to the product. They also did things like getting the urns out of the closet and displaying them in a selection room and recommending that you have at least one cremation casket on the floor to, quote, legitimize cremation in the eyes of the cremation consumer. My guest today is Joe Weigel, Weigel Strategic Marketing. Joe has a, been a longtime fixture uh, in the um, marketing public relations for major casket companies and and vault companies so i get the chance to ask joe some questions about his own personal history and and the future joe when you think about the efforts that you have to put forth to influence people's decision as to what casket company or vault company to choose how does that differ from talking to consumers the end user about either the units they choose to purchase from a funeral director 
or the funeral director choosing what funeral what uh, manufacturer to choose for their products. Dan, I think what you're talking about is the difference between a business-to-business buying decision versus a business-to-consumer buying decision. I don't want to get into a long discussion on this, but suffice to say there are several notable differences. For the most part, consumer buying decisions are made on a frequent basis and don't involve a great deal of money. Things like a meal at a restaurant, new shoes, and laundry detergent. And for most consumer buying decisions, the buyer gets his information from some form of advertising, a magazine ad, television commercials, or these days, from social media. Most business decisions, on the other hand, are formed based on a large part on a sales call from a salesperson, and the Internet does play a role as well. Another notable difference is that the sales or the purchase cycle is a much longer Salesmen don't walk cold into a funeral home and convince them to switch suppliers. As I said, a business-to-business decision has a very long consumer or a very long sales cycle. Joe, when, when we think about the nature of the relationship with the funeral home and the casket company, does the brand name matter? Do consumers no Batesville versus Matthews versus Genesis versus uh, Solomon versus anything else? Well, Dan, the brand does matter, but it matters more to the funeral homeowner than it does to the consumer. When I was at Batesville, I helped conduct a consumer market research study, and what it looked at was brand awareness, and what they found was that the brand awareness for Batesville as with all casket companies, was very negligible. Um, the one thing we found is we asked them if they knew of, knew of brands. Uh, they came back and said, you know, I know that one of the casket companies plants a tree. And others, rather than calling it Batesville Casket, called it Basketville Casket. So from that perspective, the brand doesn't really matter in the consumer's eyes. What does matter in a consumer's eyes is an endorsement by the funeral director. Funeral directors are often asked, what do you recommend? Or, what do most of your families choose? But, and in, in, the, long, in the long run and in the end, most, most people understand this, that a funeral director doesn't want to disappoint a family in any way. And that's what's important in the nature of the relationship. About a year ago, I remember through Facebook and other social media, there was an image of a Batesville truck, and someone superimposed on the back of it, looking as if it was actually painted on, uh, don't text and drive, or else one of these units is for you, or something of that nature. And I remember thinking what a great idea that was because it would have increased consumer awareness of Batesville. And those trucks are on the road for millions and millions of miles every day of the year. And uh, then it turns out it was a hoax. And Batesville was one of the people trying to prove that it was a hoax. And I thought uh, if it was a hoax, I would get the painters out there immediately and... Go for it. Dan, I couldn't agree more. 
since for as long as I can remember, Batesville's rear door had a, had a phrase, please drive safely, heaven can wait. It's certainly time for them to make a change. So much like you, if I had been at Big B, I would have made sure that trucks had some message along the lines, don't text and drive, yours may be on the next shipment. Uh, and I really can't find much fault with that phrase. But again, I think what's nice about that phrase is it's very contemporary, uh, talking to today's consumer and their affinity towards texting and staying connected via social media. My guest is Joe Weigel, Weigel Strategic Marketing, who in his current part of his uh, living and career is working to bring a professional marketing, advertising, and public relations uh, aid for funeral homes and cemeteries uh, directly. Joe, what is the number one thing that funeral homes can do to try to increase their recognition within a community? Dan, it depends on what you're talking about here. Are you talking about recognition in our local community? A recognition on their in their online community. I'll just focus on the local community, and that's where they need to determine what their positioning is. You know, what do, what do they want their message to be in the marketplace, and stick to it. You know, for example, are they do they want to be the value priced consumer, or value price provider? Do they want to be considered the cremation center, or perhaps the firm that wants to be known as? providing highly personalized service. Regardless, they must have a dedicated focus on that position and that messaging and carry it through on everything they do from advertising to online presence to signage within the funeral home. Joe, a, cu- a couple of things on, on what you just said. Uh, you know, you're talking about a dedicated focus, uh, which seems so logical and so simple. Why is it most funeral homes' advertising message is really not much more than, quote, we buried your grandfather, we'll be here for you also? A couple of things you just said, a dedicated focus. Why is it that that the funeral home's message is often, we buried your grandfather and we'll be here for you? Dan, I think you're too simplistic here, but... I get your point. It goes back to staying on message. I believe part of the problem is that funeral homes think that any kind of advertising or marketing can be effective, just as long as the name of the firm is prominent. Think about some of the other professional firms that do advertising and may use proper names as the company's moniker. Price Waterhouse Cooper, audits, taxes, human resources. They're not just accountants. Firms like CPAs and lawyers, they don't just advertise their name, but they communicate their positioning front and center. The same goes for funeral homes. It's not, it's not enough to merely put their name out in the public. They need, it, they need to communicate what they stand for and stay consistent and focused on that messaging. And it, It's tough when you hire a funeral director to suddenly assume that I'm going to be employing this person to not only wait on families and do the professional needs that are required to prepare bodies, but it's also, oh, by the way, in your spare time, 
uh, you're going to have to do the advertising and do this and do that. And you you mentioned Facebook. By our study, only about 8% of all funeral homes have Facebook accounts and Twitter less than 1%. So if you can't hire funeral directors and allow them to be dedicated to doing these things, should you be hiring professionals? Dan, I do believe you need to hire a professional. A professional in any line of work will add value, but at a price. What I like to ask prospects and clients that I work with is, did you do your own taxes? Why? Most are motivated to reduce taxes or to maximize their refund. Marketing professionals can help maximize the return on your marketing investment. A better idea might be, or a better example would be if you were selling your funeral home. Do you do it on your own, or do you reach out to someone like the Foresight Companies to maximize your return? Marketing professionals have the connections to resources, whether it be to research companies, to other outside resources. In fact, they, they have the connections to the media, whether that media be in a local community or in national trade publications. Another thing that uh, uh, funeral homes fall prey to or make the mistake of is when they do a press release, all they do is get the news out. And I have found so many times that press releases can be a wonderful opportunity to get your messaging in, your core positioning beyond merely talking about the fact that you've hired this person or you've you've added this service. It it's, serves to be a great example or a great opportunity to get your name in print. By the same token, we found recently that with the social media, funeral homes do a great job getting started in, in Facebook. Uh, they'll put someone in charge and that person will post three blogs on the, the home website website they'll they'll put some posts on the their Facebook page and put a couple tweets out on Twitter and about the third week it drops about in half and they may get one new blog on the website and they may get one new post on the Facebook and suddenly it becomes out of sight out of mind where if you hire a professional to handle your social media that person stays not only squarely focused on getting something out there as far as a posting or a message, but more importantly, make sure that that message is is on positioning and on and on target, and it communicates the core messaging of the funeral home. Joe, uh, you know when you talk about getting things out through the social media, you've got a great piece that I want to make sure that our listeners are aware of and that they. Uh, investigate, and it, obviously it's free, so they should sign up and just add it to their uh, regular reading. And uh, you call the piece your uh, morning, co- morning Joe. People can come to that through Weigel, W-E-I-G-E-L, Strategic Marketing dot Webs dot com. Weigel Strategic Marketing dot Webs dot com, and on our website, Joe, we'll have a link for that uh, as this interview appears so that way people could just click on that and and see some of your articles i love the one on uh, uh why write articles for the media which has been a big part of how we've built our professional practice uh and and uh, i love the tangent that i think you're starting uh on um 
the redo of the obituary. I really think uh, the obituary is changing, and that's going to be some of the rants uh, for one of my upcoming uh, podcasts. But, Joe, I, I wanted to get back to uh, a question that, that I like to ask my um, my guests, who I really respect. I know you've been at such a high level of this profession for so long and got to see so many things that the average person can't see about funeral service. So I'm going to ask you to tell my listeners, what do you think funeral service has to do to reinvent itself so that it can be profitable into the future? Well, Dan, if, if first, if I can get in a shameless plug, uh, besides the website, folks can also sign up for the newsletter by sending an email to joseph.weigel at gmail.com. And, you know, Dan, while I wouldn't call this concept reinventing itself, I do think funeral homes need to wave the flag and talk about what's good about funerals and the funeral profession. I think too many in funeral service think that people don't want to talk or talk about death. And as I like to say, um, people are intrigued about death provided they're not talking about their own death. And I still recall one of the first times this came came to light for me was standing in, in a line at the airport in Denver, Colorado. I had just joined Options, and um, in the line about um, 20 feet away, heading heading up to a different counter, was an art director I had worked with in the past. And John saw me and kind of waved and said, hey, Joe, what are you doing these days? And I just matter-of-factly replied, well, John, I'm peddling cremation urns. And Dan, you could just see everyone's eyes turn to me and in and, and anticipation of what else I was going to talk about related to cremation. And that same intrigue came home to roost again here in the last couple of months. Um, our son just recently graduated from the University of Cincinnati with a degree in architecture. And as part of his graduate requirements, the very final class he takes or he took involved a dissertation, thesis, and exhibit. And his sponsoring professor suggested that he do something around his hometown. And obviously, having grown up in Batesville, he did something related to creating a, he called it a museum of death. And as he was going through the development process, one stage of the development was he had to defend his critique to a number of professors. And he called me after it was over, because typically that can be a very grueling ordeal. And he said, Dad, they hardly had any comments about my design, but rather um, wanted to talk to me about the paper I had done about funeral ceremonies throughout the world. And they took up so much time talking about funeral ceremonies and the funeral service and the whole funeral process that they didn't have time to critique my, my, my design. So I sailed through the dissertation swimmingly well. And uh, then he went on to talk about the upcoming exhibit where every student had to put his senior thesis or his graduate uh, project on display. And my wife and I drove down for the exhibit and it was interesting Dan as people were walking through the exhibit they would be going through one 
um, project had talked about a new concept in senior housing, or this one here was was talking about uh, new designs and sustainability. And there's our son's exhibit titled The Museum of Death, and the number of people around it and reading about some of the different rooms and exhibits that he had planned for the museum was just fascinating. Um, so again, um, uh, I'll get a little long-winded there, Dan, but at the, but in the end, uh, funeral, funeral directors and, and funeral service professionals need to stand tall and wave the flag. Um, what they do is a very good thing. Uh, not only do people need it to help them through, um, get through the death of a loved one, but people are intrinsically fascinated by the entire funeral process. My guest today on the Dan Assard Show has been Joe Weigel. Joe has seen funeral service for the last generation, and he's seen it from some pretty lofty uh, perches. And, Joe, I really appreciate the fact you've taken the time to share with our listeners on this podcast your thoughts about marketing, advertising, public relations, and uh, some of the stories. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat and Let's stay in touch. It, it's my pleasure. You're listening to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. In the event you have any questions of my uh, interviews or myself, please feel free to send them to us, care of our Facebook page or the email address I've mentioned before. On my next podcast, I'm going to talk about the mistakes you make when negotiating with a casket company. I would like you to know, in the event you want to take this from a virtual discussion to an actual discussion face-to-face, -face, well, you have the chance to see me. I do a number of speaking engagements for funeral service around the globe, and I am going to be at the fourth annual Cremation Strategies Conference, and then the next day it becomes the ninth annual Funeral Service Business Plan Conference, sponsored by Kate's Boylston Publications. That's going to be November 12th, 13th, and 14th at the beautiful Don Cesar Beach Resort in St. Pete Beach. It's a great time of year to be there. Great resort and fabulous, fabulous lineup of speakers in addition to myself. I would like to thank my guest today, uh, Robert Fells from the ICCFA and the incomparable, knowledgeable Joe Weigel, who's been around this business for a while. I do want to thank my dear friend Chris Raymond from About.com and his section on dying, and you should register with him if you haven't already. I want to thank my executive producer, Tyler Frazier, and my personal producer, Catherine Marie Bellavoe. Please join me on Facebook, sign up for the automatic download for the iTunes podcast store, read my column and feature articles in the Director Magazine as well as in All Funeral Press. And I would like to leave you with just this one story. There's a story about the man who knew that his wife was unfaithful. It was no secret. He knew. Many of his friends knew she was unfaithful. One day the woman died. And at her funeral, to the embarrassment of all, the boyfriend was there. And the boyfriend is crying hysterically. Finally, after a while, during the visitation, the husband couldn't take it anymore. He gets up. He walks over to the boyfriend. He puts his arm on him and he says, please don't carry on like this. 
I'll marry again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. And always remember, if I've offended you, tell your friends. <laughs>